0: Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Beloved, let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we might hear with joy, deep joy, what you have to say to us today. This we pray in the name of our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Just taking it all in. What a gift it is to be with you all on this holiest of days, Easter Sunday. Again, a very special welcome to those of you who are new to First Press, to those of you who are just dipping your toes back into the waters of in-person worship, to those of you who are joining us virtually from other places in California, in Alabama, Texas, New York, and beyond. And most of all, to the youngest members of our community, to all the kids who are sitting in the pews with us today, I'm so glad that you are here. I remember coming to church when I was your age, and I will admit that I was kind of bored a lot of the time. But even still, I came to figure out something pretty cool about the church. I figured out that what we are doing right here and right now is not something you will find anywhere else in the world. You see, every time you walk into this sacred space, strangers immediately become family. And the stories we tell come from a time way before any of us were even born, even your parents. But they teach us how to live today. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how long you have been coming, because in God's house, everyone matters. In God's house, all are welcome. And so to all of you, however you came to us this day, welcome to the final stop in our Lenten journey, Resurrection Sunday. For those of you who are just joining us over the past six weeks, we have been asking ourselves a very basic yet profound question. Why Jesus? Why do over two billion people around the world confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Why has he incited so much conflict and controversy over history? But most importantly, why do we worship him, follow him, love him so much? Why Jesus? While this question may seem simple and safe, the answers are anything but. In the midst of a time where the church, our country, and the entire world is deeply fractured, I believe that how we answer this question matters more now than ever before. Why? Because as it turns out, we all need a savior. We all need the good news of the gospel. So with that in mind, I invite you now to listen up for God is speaking. Here now, a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 15 and 16. On the day and at the place of Jesus' death, there were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, who Jesus had cleansed of her demons, and Mary, the mother of James, the the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. These women used to follow him and provided for him when he was in Galilee, and there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph brought a linen cloth and, taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of a rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where the body was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were overwhelmed, they were alarmed, they were distressed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Friends, the word of the Lord. All right, I know what you're thinking. Preacher, this is not the Easter story I came to church for today. I did not leave my house and put on non-elastic waist pants and fight through traffic for this version of the resurrection. It is Easter after all, and I was expecting a story with a little more Jesus. Look, I get it. The original ending of Mark's version of these sacred events leaves a lot to be desired. In it, there is no happy reunion between Jesus and his disciple, no words of comfort for the grief-stricken, no majestic ascension into heaven. All Mark gives us is an empty tomb and a group of terrified women. But you've got to admit, it's real. Lest we forget, in the midst of our revelry and rejoicing, the very first Easter did not look like this. There were no white lilies, no brass quartets, no triumphant anthems. In reality, the very first Easter was exactly as Mark describes it. It was disturbing, alarming, even terrifying. It makes sense though, our passage for today begins just two days before Easter on Good Friday with a group of women who are standing at a distance as they watch their friend, their messiah, their savior, their beloved Jesus be crucified on a cross. Their physical location is important to note here. You see, the women kept their distance, not just to shield themselves from the horrors of this execution, but from the danger of being detected. As followers of this now convicted criminal, these women could be found guilty by association. And their crime? Well, their crime was being foolish enough to believe that maybe Just maybe, this carpenter's son, this Jesus of Nazareth, could actually be the one they had been waiting for. The one promised by God, the one who would beat the swords of their oppressors into plowshares, the one who would wipe away every tear from every face, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the outcast, forgive the sinner, their Messiah and King. It's no wonder these women kept their distance. Not only had they lost their their source of joy in the present, they had also lost their hope of a secure future. Sorrow and fear was all that they had left. And yet even in the midst of these paralyzing emotions, somehow these women managed to carefully track the exact location of Jesus' body. They recorded the coordinates of his grave in their mind, and as soon as the constraints of the Sabbath were lifted, they gathered their spices and returned to that place with such haste that they forgot to figure out how they would be able to get in the tomb in the first place. But as Mark tells us, when the women arrived, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. The entrance to the tomb was wide open. Disturbing. So with a mixture of relief and suspicion, the women cautiously proceed into the tomb only to discover that Jesus' body is nowhere to be found. Instead, they encounter a very much alive young man in a white robe, you know, just sitting there, chilling, terrifying. And then the young man opens his mouth to answer the question they haven't even asked yet, but has been racing through each of their minds. Do not be afraid, he says. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Jesus is on the loose. Terrifying. Now, for those of us who have read or at least heard other versions of this story, We can probably easily fill in the ending that Mark does not provide, the gaps he leaves open. Open. Jesus may not be here, but that's because he's on the road to Emmaus. Or yes, he's been raised from the dead, but now he's in the safe house with the disciples. Or don't worry, Jesus has risen, he is alive, and he's exactly where we left him last Easter. Well, not according to Mark. As New Testament scholar Donald Jewell once noted, Mark's gospel forbids closure. There is no stone at the mouth of that tomb. Jesus is out on the loose on the same side of the door as the women and as us, the readers, and the doors are emphatically open. Maybe that's why we don't like Mark's versions of things. It's too open. If you're anything like me, you prefer your stories to be neatly tied up, your endings to be happy, and your heroes to be present and accounted for. In the midst of a time where all we have are unknowns, we crave stories with clarity and conclusions. Stories like the ones found in the other gospels. Stories that emphatically tell us the good news we all need to hear, we all want to hear. That Jesus has risen, he has conquered sin and death, and in doing so, he has taken the problem of human suffering and answered it with love and with hope. And on top of all of that, these stories show us exactly where Jesus is after his resurrection and where he is going. But Mark doesn't give us all of that. Instead of tracing Jesus' every move after his resurrection, all Mark does is show us an empty tomb, then announce to us that Jesus has risen from the dead, and in doing so, conquered death. And then he replaces the definitive period on the most important sentence of the most crucial story of our faith tradition with three little dots. Jesus is not here because Jesus is not dead. Jesus is not here because Jesus is out there. Jesus is not here because his story is not finished. Why Jesus? Well, because Jesus is on the loose. Try as we might to limit the resurrection to a specific moment or place in time, Mark reminds us that while the story of Jesus' victory over death may have begun that very first Easter morning, it did not end there. Yes, there is victory and power and truth in that empty tomb, but there is also mystery and promise and hope. An invitation to the women who came to anoint Jesus' body and an invitation to all of us to depart from that tomb and then to go find life, to go find God, because in case you haven't heard, my friends, Jesus is on the loose. The question remains, how will we continue the story? Will we heed the young man's advice and go and find the risen Lord? Will we trust that while the world may look like the same as it did on Good Friday, it has actually been transformed by the miracle of Easter Sunday? Will we go and tell others the stories of our own resurrections, or will we be overwhelmed by our own sorrow and fear? as I said earlier, today is not so different from that very first Easter morn. We may be wearing our Sunday best in full expectation of a happy ending, but if we are being honest with ourselves, we too come to the tomb with hearts full of sorrow and fear. Sorrow over all that we have lost. Time, loved ones, community, our sense of security, even our sense of self, fear over what awaits us in the darkness, senseless violence, devastating wars, and divisions driven by our stubborn refusal to have compassion on those that we do not understand. Just like the women in our story today, We, too, have every reason to question the possibility of life after witnessing so much death. But, friends, on this holy day, this Easter Sunday, we gather to remember the sacred and terrifying truth that the story is not over. On this holy day, this Easter Sunday, we celebrate the good news that death does not have the final say. Suffering will not be our legacy, and sin will not mark us for good because resurrection is real. Resurrection is happening. Resurrection is all around us. Do you see it? Because I do. I see resurrection in the story of a man who came to our street meal ministry just a few years back, sometimes as a helper, but more often as a guest. There were times he came to our doorstep with his head bowed in embarrassment, having to ask for basic necessities like underwear. One day he asked for just enough money to buy himself some work shoes, and one of you gave him $20. Well, just a few weeks ago, Mark was on our doorstep again. This time he shared the good news that he had found a job that he remembered the $20 that was given to him and that he wanted to give a gift of $200 for anyone else who might need to buy some shoes. I see resurrection in the story of an individual who cold called the church just last week looking to speak to a female pastor. After calling help center after help center, this person did not know where else to turn with their fears and their questions about their own sexual identity. Thank God Michelle was there to sit with this person because later they left a voicemail for our newest associate pastor telling her that they no longer feel alone in the world. I see resurrection in my friend, Yuri, a father of five, a Ukrainian native, and a California resident who has been driving to Mexico every free weekend that he has to pick up as many refugees as he can fit in his van, and then bringing them back up here where his church is finding them homes to stay. I see resurrection in the work of one of our mission partners, Berkeley Food and Housing, that is getting ready to open the New Hope Center, a multi-level housing complex. Instead of being overwhelmed by the worsening housing crisis, they took on the challenge to reimagine how to offer housing support that is sustainable and life-changing for the most vulnerable members of our society. And I see resurrection. I see resurrection in this place. I see resurrection in the excited eyes of our children waving palms on Palm Sunday, the profound questions of our youth as they make their faith their own, and the visionary thinking of our university students as they imagine a new way of being. I see resurrection in June Childers shouting out to James at last week's hymn sing, can you play something we can clap to? I see resurrection in a community that is finally able to gather in person on Easter Sunday after three long years. I see resurrection all around us. Do you? because the good news of Easter Sunday is not only that Jesus conquered death, but that Jesus is alive. Right here, right now. Which means that God is not finished with us yet. God is not done with us yet, and God has not left our side even for a second. In Jesus Christ, we know that God is with us, God is for us, God loves us. And that, my friends, is the good news of the Gospel. That, my friends, is why we worship Jesus, why we follow Jesus, why we love Jesus, because Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus has risen, he is not there anymore. Jesus is on the loose. And I can think of no better version to the greatest story that has ever been told than that. Amen.